0: you have your Bibles, I'd ask you to find the gospel according to John, and we're going to be in a couple places. They'll be on the screen. Tonight, we're going to introduce this wonderful book um, by looking at just three verses across the whole gospel and uh, dive into a couple of other places really quickly. You know, I'm one of these people, uh, I'll just confess, I, I like lists. Some people hate lists, but I, I love lists, um, and I especially like lists when they clarify what I'm supposed to be doing. I also am one of these guys that if I'm dealing with any company, um, I like to know what their mission statement is, and I like to find out if they, if they hold to it. This past Friday, I, I was given the privilege of driving down to Greenville, South Carolina and giving a presentation to a company that has locations all over several states about becoming a, a, a corporate partner of My Life Matters. And um, I did my homework. I went on their website. I read all the about information. I, I did the information about the history of the company. And it was really fun. They had, the, they had these five core values. And um, even, even if they hadn't said this is a Christian-owned and operated company, I would have known it was a Christian-owned and operated company it was just too much to be coincidence all their core values are scripture based and and so when i gave my presentation i was done one guy raised his hand he says wow man it's like you got that off our website i was like i i did i did because what i wanted you to see is christians on mission together is a very powerful partnership and when we have these clarifying moments in our life where we know, we know that we know that we know that we're walking with the living God and we, when we can begin to relate the arenas of our life, the situations of our life to that grand purpose, you suddenly don't wake up on a Monday morning and say, I got to get through Monday. You wake up on a Monday morning and say, I get to get through Monday. I get to go through Monday with God. For me, Reading and rereading and studying the Gospel of John has been empowering. And over the next, I don't know, Casey, we haven't quite decided, let's just say 45 weeks. Let's call it that. Um, what do you say, Casey? I'm, well, the Gospel of John is pretty thick. What, what I am praying, what I'm praying will happen is the reality of the purpose of the Gospel according to John will land in our lives And that you, like, you know, you, Mary, you, Amber, you, Dale, that you as individuals, you, Rhonda, will feel this renewed sense of focus and purpose, this clarifying um, liberation because you'll just see what the point of it all is in a fresh way. And then that'll reverberate through your households and your friendships Your circles of both being influenced and being an influencer. That, to me, would be a home run. What does it sound like? It sounds like revival. Without further ado, let me just tell you guys what the whole main idea of tonight, and I believe the gospel of John, is. I believe that John was led of the Holy Spirit to write this gospel account so that people would believe on Jesus as the Christ or the Messiah, pick your word, and find and have life through him. Find and have life through him. So tonight, let's look at three verses, uh, one in chapter 1 and two in chapter 20, to frame this introduction to the gospel according to John. John chapter 1, verse number 18. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, he he being Christ, has made him known. Now over to John 20, verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that what, church? You may what? Believe what? And he's also, and the purpose of God wanting you to believe is what? Have life in his name. You see that? So what I've been praying for and we will continue to pray for is that we'll get out of going to church, we'll get out of reading our Bible, we'll, we'll get out of uh, doing our devotions, and we'll get into the pointed connection with God that gives life. So, so we'll, we'll, we'll come to church and come to the reading of the Word of God because we want to find life. We'll, we'll do our personal devotions because we want to find life that we'll sing and we'll worship, we'll give, we'll serve. Why? Because we want to find life. So tonight I want to introduce what I believe is power-packed gospel using these three short verses. Let's pray. Father, I, I have no idea at this point how many sermons, talks, devotions, moments of teaching. I I, I don't know the number. I don't know. I don't know how many times I've prayed through a passage, prayed for a people. Father, I absolutely know beyond a shadow of a doubt in a very fresh way that what you want us to experience is life with you every minute of every day. You want the eternal to come, become a reality even before we've stepped into eternity. So, Father, how many ever talks, how many ever sermons, how many ever conversations, how many ever life together questions come up out of the gospel of John? We know beyond a shadow of a doubt that your purpose for giving us this book is that we might have life and have it through Jesus. So I humbly ask you to get us on this awesome adventure and fill us with wonder, a spirit of discovery, excitement, and worship. In Jesus, I pray, amen and amen. Simply put, simply put, John wrote that Jesus was the revelation of God so that we might believe that Jesus is the Messiah or the Christ, and by believing, we would have life. Simply put, I, I could actually read these verses and say that and pray and leave. But I ain't. So let's look at a few thoughts together. Jesus made God clearly known. That's, that's what verse 18 tells us. He made him clearly known. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. What? The God who is very God, who is at the Father's side, in other words, this is one of those Trinity verses. God is one who expresses himself in three persons. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are one. And what this is telling us is no man, no capacity has ever been able to fully reveal God to us. So what does God do? He becomes a man so that a man amongst men can reveal the fullness of God. I find that really exciting. So when I read the life of Jesus, I'm not looking at some, just, you know, just some little earthly wisdom. I'm not looking at some way to skirt around something I want to do. What I'm looking at is the revelation of God himself. And so what it's supposed to lead me to is worship every time, every time. It's supposed to lead me to wonder, to surrender, to worship. It's not going to be on the screen. Take, take a, a really quick adventure with me, if you would. Find in your Bibles Revelation chapter number five. Just as one example, Revelation chapter number five. When you find it, say amen, so I'll know you're there. Revelation five. Nobody found it? Okay, thank you for Pete's sake. I mean, I was beginning to take that personal for a second. About time, Casey. Okay. Okay. So here's this scene in Revelation chapter 5, okay? Uh, Just so I don't have to read it all, pick it up with me in verse 2. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seal? Now now look at verse 3 carefully. And no one where? And where else? Or... So in true East Rock lingo, nobody nowhere was able to open the scroll or to look into it. Now look at John's reaction. Now this is precious to me, verse number four. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said, weep no more, behold the line of the tribe of judah the root of david has conquered so he can open the scroll and its seven seals and they give this 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 description of these very wild heavenly creatures and uh, is this literal or is john trying to put in earthly terms some creatures that we'll only see in heaven i think yes <laughs> it is literally difficult to describe something you've never seen yet right And so the lamb is standing, it tells us in the middle of verse 6, as though it had been slain. In heaven, you'll see the slay marks on the worthy lamb. In other words, if somebody ever asks you what's the only man-made thing in heaven, you say the slay marks on the lamb. And he goes and takes the scroll from this really scary, magnificent creature what verse 7 tells us. And, uh, and when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, the 24 elders, they fell down. Uh, I asked some young people one time, so why do you think they fell down? We were reading this passage on the My Life Matters thing. They said, I guess they're tripping. <laughs> they were dead serious. I was like, hey, it's not. It's a, you know, you tried to answer, but why do you think they fell down? In utter worship, they're blown away. Now, I want you to put this in context. If an angel shows up in the Bible, men tremble in fear. Now these angels who would make all of us just fall out, they're falling out in wonder of the lamb who was slain. Now I love this. They sing a new song. <laughs> Worthy are you to take the scroll and open the seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people. For every tribe and language and people and nation, you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth so then I looked around in the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Now, I love, this is one of my favorite verses, verse 13. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth. And under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Why is he worthy? Because he was slain. What did he win through his worthiness, wisdom and power and glory? And how do the people respond? They respond very naturally with blessing and worship. Now, back over to John 1. You're getting the scene in heaven. Somebody say amen. Now, when we see this on earth, when we, by faith, have revelation from God, when we see this on earth, we're supposed to practice heaven. Practice heaven in your personal worship. Practice heaven in your family worship. Practice heaven right here. Somebody's saying, what does this have to do with the Gospel of John? Don't forget its purpose. No one has seen the Father because sin blinds, because brokenness blinds, because we're born spiritually dead. No one has seen God. He came to make us see God, and in seeing God, he wants us to worship. Jesus made God clearly known. Maybe the way I would paraphrase John chapter 1, verse 18, my paraphrase would sound something like this. No ordinary person has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God and is near God's heart and at God's throne, he has come to reveal God to us. Why? So you can get some spiritual gift that makes you better than your neighbor? Negatory. Why? So you can gain some prosperity in a world that will be ash one day? Negatory. Why? So you can find some way to feel warm and fuzzy on the inside? Negatory. Why? Because all those things that God has made should worship him should honor him, should bless him. And God looks at this broken creation, this sin-blinded people, and he says, I'm going to go show them me. And if they ever see me, they will honor me. But John's looking at heaven. says, I can't believe there's nobody to open the scroll. He's mourning and weaving. The elders say, hold on a minute. We got somebody. Just, hold on, John. And there comes the lamb who was slain. Make no mistake, the point of this gospel is to show us Jesus, that we might believe on Jesus and in believing on Jesus have life and with that life honor God, bless God, give glory to God. It's not health and wealth. It's not notoriety and fame. It's not warm and fuzziness. God wants us to get life because he Deserves worship from his creatures. He's worthy of it. He has declared him. That's what John 1.18 says. Who is he? It's Jesus. Who is he declared? He's declared the Father. Just as the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork, the sun shows the brightness of the Father's glory as the express image of the invisible God. I was working with some guys from a local church in Halifax County out at the schoolhouse not too long ago, and a lot of you guys don't know what I'm talking about, but it's a service panel. It's kind of a rectangular metal box. We had taken it loose from something, and it was sitting on the ground, and it had been sitting there for some days, and I turned it up on his side and sit down on it. I mean, I'm at that age where I can make a chair out of nearly anything that will hold me, and uh, I heard something. And at first, my thought was, man, a wasp nest is in this thing or something. And I looked down between my feet, and there was a shiny wiggler mm-hmm. in that service panel. And uh, we had just been talking about it. We was crawling around under this building. This one guy was saying how scared he was of snakes. So, of course, being the good brother in Christ that I am, I fished that snake out of that box. And that guy came out from under that building. Once he stood up, I threw that snake right at his feet. Was I wrong for that? Y'all should have seen him dance. (laughs) I told him, I told him the NBA draft is coming right up, and I think you just made a great audition. You got hops. He said, why did you do that? I says, isn't it funny that snake has been laying in this box? How many times have you walked by today? He says, some things you're glad you don't know about. The contention of John is there's the thing you would be most glad to know about is God. The thing you'd be most glad. There's a lot of things you don't want to know about. You know, ignorance is what? What's it saying? Bliss. Bliss. And I'm telling y'all, I've been one of the most blissful people y'all ever met in your life. Ignorance is often bliss. But ignorance of God blocks Bliss. So what is he doing? He's revealing God. Why? So that we'll have life, and in having life, we can give glory to God. It's not just that he deserves it, it's just it's what we're made for. So Jesus comes and he has clearly and fully declared the nature of God, the perfections of God, the purposes of God, the promises of God, the counsels of God, the covenants of God, the word of God, the works of God, his thoughts, his grace, his mercy, his judgment. On and on I could come. More and more. The point is Jesus made God clearly known. That's what John 1.18 tells us. Believe it or not, more on that next week. Jesus made God clearly known so that we might believe and have life. Don't miss the purpose in this. Jesus, God the Son, made God the Father known. Why? So that we would believe and have life. And what does he want us to do with this knowing and this living? Honor him because he's worthy. Bless him. Bless him because he's worthy. Worship him because he's worthy. Now, some people think all we need to do is believe in something and believe in it sincerely. I call that Oprah Winfrey theology. Just believe in something and believe it sincerely, and that's okay. Well, you guys could imagine what I would call that. Anybody want to guess? Hogwash. The Christian faith, the biblical doctrine, contends that our faith must be objective. In other words, we have to place our faith in something, and we would say more pointedly what? In someone, right? In Jesus. It's not just something. In other words, it's not in the law and our power to keep it because we're all going to fail there. Somebody say amen. It's not, our, it's not in our works because without God, our works are as what? Filthy rags, they're not acceptable in him. It's not in our intellect, because even if you know a lot about something, you don't know a lot about everything. Your intellect will fail. If you don't believe that, you haven't had a conversation with a toddler lately. They'll break you down in a minute. A middle schooler will ask you better theological questions a lot of times than than somebody, you know, your own age. And uh, I'm often tempted just to tell them to hush. It's not in those things. Our faith must be in Christ for two reasons, two huge reasons. One, he's the only one God accepts. (laughs) Somebody say amen. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Simple enough. The other thing is I, I believe he's the only one that's going to satisfy our faith. And let's be clear here. We're not talking about simple mental assent meaning like we believe something, we say we believe it, we acknowledge that it's real or, or that some elements of it are real. John's contention is that we must believe in Jesus to be saved. By believing, I mean trust. More on that in just a moment. I don't mean to say that we simply say, yeah, I believe Jesus existed. Some people believe in Jesus that way. Uh, a few years ago, there was a very prominent politician whose whole entire campaign strategy was centered around the word change. And he would just say, we're going to change. And when people heard that, they heard, yeah, I like that. We need to bring back returnable Pepsi bottles. Fix it, President. Other people heard, he's going to fix my Social Security. Other people heard, he's going to fix this other thing we don't like. It was brilliant political strategy. My question kept saying, change what, how? So it's not just saying, I believe Jesus existed, and, you know, fill in the blanks. Eighty-some percent of Americans believe in God. But when you start asking a more pointed question, the percentage goes way, way, way down. So John's not asking us just to simply believe that Jesus existed, nor is he asking us to believe that he did good things or was a good person or was wise, nor to simply believe that he went to a cross and was executed by Romans. John believes, John, excuse me, John means for us to believe that the promise-making God is keeping his promises through Jesus. He is fulfilling those promises through Jesus. Let me give you a few examples. Y'all ready? You might want to take notes on these. In Genesis 3, God promises to send a son From the seed of a woman. Does that sound strange to anybody but me? From the seed of a woman. I don't care what anybody tells you on the evening news. Women don't got no seed. Women is as women does. Even Forrest Gump knows this. So this is something miraculous, the seed of a woman. And how did the Messiah come? Through a virgin. By the miraculous power of God. And in that Genesis 3 promise to send a child by the seed of a woman, he says this this child's going to fix everything. In Psalm 2, God promises to end all injustice and all rebellion and to put down every oppressive and repressive uh, king and lord in the world and replace them with a lord who will rule with justice, who will end the mockery of justice, uh, of, of justice, and will put down those rebellious souls who will not come under his reign. In Isaiah 53, God promises a servant and says that servant will suffer, and he will suffer for righteousness' sake, and his suffering will be counted to others for righteousness. One who is non-guilty will be declared guilty so that those who are guilty can be declared not guilty. In Daniel 7, God promises that he will hand an eternal kingdom to someone and that that kingdom will include someone from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. Then we looked in Revelation 5, how we look forward to the consummation of that. Over and over and over again, God makes promises. And in Jesus, he fulfills those promises. And John wants us to see this, to know it. Does he want us to know it? Just so that we can know it? No. Know it and trust it and have life. Now, I really struggled to find this illustration. Somebody's just got to pre-forgive me. I used to drink. had a bad drinking problem, and I loved to go to a bar. I loved it. If you go to a bar where people know you, you can run a tab. That's like a credit account. And if they know you, you can just drink, and one day they sell you, look, you you got to pay your tab, or you walk up and pay your tab. Well, one night I was at this bar, and um, and they didn't know me. And so I pulled out seven $100 bills, and I says, do you know him? And the, and the bartender said, yeah, that's one of my favorite people. And I says, well, you just come and get me when this runs out. That's what I told them. You just come and get me when this runs out. Now, I'm going to tell you all something. If you go to a bar and drink $700 worth of liquor, somebody ought to help you. My point is, it didn't run out. But if I would have stayed there a week, it would have run out. I'm telling you all, I would have drank it all up. I was that bad. Now, imagine imagine that what God wants to do is to bring us into a unified relationship with himself through Jesus And then for him to say, I want you to hold me to every promise I've ever made, and I'm already saying yes on the account of Jesus, and you'll never run out of Jesus' cash. That's what John wants us to see. He fulfills every office so that he can fulfill every promise. And he fulfills every promise so he can break every curse. And he breaks every curse so that any wall of division between man and God is smashed and we can have the full expectation that God is not angry with us and that he wants us. This is the Gospel of John. All the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. 2 Corinthians 1.20. In other words, if you know Jesus, your account never runs out. You can keep coming to God and saying, can I expect heaven? Set them up, Joe. Will a jukebox play all the songs I like through eternity? Set them up, Joe. Will I get a new body? Set him up, Joe. Will Satan be crushed? Set him up, Joe. Will I expect to escape judgment? Set them up, Joe. Can I avoid hell? Set them up, Joe. Can I know the glory of heaven? Set him up, Joe. Will I be able to see all of the saints who've gone on before me? Set them up, Joe. Every good thing he has promised, he's already saying, paid in Jesus. Paid in Jesus. And John's saying, recognize he's the one. He has the collateral. He's accepted. He's God's plan. And you cling to him. Now, in John, there's all these other things. Let me breeze through them really quick. John contends. For us to believe that God is fulfilling all of his promises in Christ, we must believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, let me see if I can give that to y'all. You got to back up a little bit, Mary Lou. I think, yes, thank you. I'm, don't get ahead of me. Mary Lou is saying, we're going to go to dinner, whether Tim likes it or not. Okay. No, 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 too late. You know I'm emotionally fragile. Don't do this to me. Just kidding. Now, now, where do I get this? Let me give it to you very simply. Only somebody who's God could do all this. That's the simple thing of it. What John then gives us over the next 22 chapters, 21 chapters, excuse me, is he shows us that only someone with divine, who is divine could be trusted with absolute power and authority. Someone, only someone who is divine could, be, could could give the perfect sacrifice and have it accepted as payment. Only somebody who was divine could fulfill God's promises, would fulfill God's promise. If Jesus were not divine, he couldn't do that. So John wants us to see that he is the son of God. He is part of the triune Godhead. Through it, he uses many themes. The big three are knowledge and vision and signs. He gives us the knowledge of God. He causes us to see God, and he proves he is God. Given the evidence of God through Jesus and seeing God keeps his promises, we are meant to trust God. The Greek word here for believing isn't knowledge. It's pastuo. Now, how many of you guys have been to a Latin American country? I I love Latin American countries. My biggest gripe, Mary Lou, you just had to forgive me. My biggest gripe, and I will never forgive the entirety of Latin America for this. Is everywhere you go, all they have is thin plastic white chairs. (laughs) I have crushed many. If I go in a restaurant somewhere, I usually get two or three and stack them on top of each other. And I still sort of nervously test them. You know, them things look like a weak-legged giraffe when I sit on them. They just go... I'll never forget, we were in Lee. Nicaragua, and we went to this pizza joint, and there was a whole crew of us, and the place was already crowded. And man, I'm I'm doing some quick math. I said, Oh man, I'm not gonna be able to stack chairs. There's not enough chairs. And I just think I'm I'm just gonna eat my pizza standing up. What I'll do is I'll just walk around and talk to people, you know. And there's just one little young guy, maybe 18, 19 years old, and he gets one of these chairs, and he he says, Sit down right here, you know. And I'm like, No, I don't want to sit down right there. He says, Oh, it's very steady. I said, it's not very sturdy. <laughs> and he, he picks and he slams it, and, and he jumps up in it. He said, it's very strong. I said, very large. <laughs> I could not postuo that chair. <laughs> I could believe it was a chair. Somebody say amen. I could believe that chair could hold Somebody. Your boy was not going to sit in it. So I'd done the rambling dinner. <laughs> just and then some people left, and I increased my faith. <laughs> I said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. They left, I stacked chairs, I sat down. Sometimes I think one of the greatest values in John is God starts stacking chairs for people who need bigger faith. He just gives us evidence, he puts us in our face, and makes us wrestle with truth, undeniable things. Why? Because what he wants is he doesn't, want to, he doesn't want to just confound us. He wants us to trust him because in trusting Christ, we find life. Last but not least, I could talk about that all day long. We need to trust God in Christ Jesus because we need life. We need life. And I don't mean breathing. The breathing thing is going to run out. Did y'all know that? There's a time stamp on that. The psalmist would say, teach us to number our days. Why? That we might obtain a heart of wisdom. I think the key heart of wisdom is knowing that my days are numbered. That might be a tough subject, but it's one we need to consider. We need spiritual, eternal life. We are born dead in our trespasses and sins all over the gospel of John. I mean, let me give you a tiny sample. I know I've been up here a long time. I'm okay with it. Y'all look a little tired. John 1.4 says, in him was life. John 3.16 We can have eternal life. So if life is in him and we're going to have it, where do we got to go to get it? To Jesus. John chapter 5, verse 24, whoever hears and believes in him who sent Jesus, whoever hears and believes, he wants us to know Jesus so that we believe on him and have life through Jesus has eternal life. John chapter 11, verses 25, 26, one of the most powerful stories in all the scriptures, Jesus is talking to the sisters of the now dead Lazarus. Jesus tells the sister, Jesus says, he's the resurrection and the life, whoever believes in him, even if that one dies, they will live. And everyone who believes in him will have life and will never die. Now, just raise your hand. Any of y'all got a loved one who is dead and gone and you believe they were in Christ when when they died and left this earth? Well, you all—you need to just every time you get to thinking about them, just study through John 11. It says, even if they die, because you can say, well, I believe in Jesus. What happens if I die? Oh, it's okay. You'll have life forever. In other words, he's stronger than the strongest thing in your life. Strongest thing in your life is death. It ends everything else you're experiencing. But he's stronger than the strongest thing in your life. That's deeper than you realize. Now, I know you're going to be dirty, rotten sinners, but who's seen that movie Book of Eli with Denzel Washington? I watched it just because I got a man crush on Denzel Washington. My man. He said, just one point where the guy's threatening him with a gun, and and he says, you have no choice. He says, there's always a choice. I think it's one of the most powerful. It's like, okay, you're going to kill me if I don't want to do this wrong thing? He says, well, you don't have any choice but to do this thing. Oh, I got a choice. See, you you can live, you can really live when you realize that the devil can't use the biggest thing in life against you. Some of us don't know that. That's what John wants you to come to know. Another one, John 14, 6, says he's the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. It's sufficiency and exclusivity until we have life in Christ. We're separated from God, destined for judgment, where we will be cast into hell, where we will have living regret through eternity because we will know what we have missed. But in Christ, we're saved from judgment and adopted into the family of God where we will enjoy him forever. We're not just adopted in the sense that we could... Be unadopted. We're grafted in. He has to tear himself up to kick us out. John 15, we'll get to that in 12 or 13 years. Now, let me close by taking you back to John 1 real quick. Now, uh, as you find your place in John 1, let me me try to give you this challenge. Over the next few weeks and months, I really want you guys to take a slow crawl through John. Now, I want to challenge you guys to do this. I want you to make a bookmark. It would be really cool if you made me one because I hate crafting. Make a bookmark. Put it in your Bible. On that bookmark, I want you to write John 20, 30, and 31. I want you to see that every sermon we preach, every devotion, every life together discussion, every time you sit and read the scriptures, what is the point here? God wants you to know him so that you have life. Make that goal. Make the bookmark. And every time right before you read your next selection of John, don't you to look at that bookmark. What's the point of me reading this? Life. 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 Now, if you found your place in John 1, let me close by reading two verses. The preceding verses says that light had come into the world, and people had rejected the light, and they rejected it because they loved darkness. Isn't that a, isn't that a sad testimony? You know, now, you know, men can leave something in the house and not be able to find it. So what do we do? We ask our wives. Yeah, we don't never know what we do with anything. You know, we walk around with something in our hand asking our wives where it is. My wife does that too, but it's with these things. She's looking around for them. They're holding their hair back, you know. When she gets truly blind like me, she'll know where they are. <laughs> That's sad. It's like somebody saying, here's exactly what you're looking for, and you're going, uh, uh-uh, I ain't going to do it. But listen to this. There's good news. We should end with good news. John chapter 1, verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, who trusted that this name is the one who fulfills the promises, but to all who did receive him, who trusted in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And these children, these children aren't born through, you know, my preaching. They aren't born through that baptismal pool. They aren't born through their works. Look at verse 13. They're born not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. When the people receive Jesus, they are born of God. They got a new life. What are we going to do over the next, pretty much, pretty much, you might as well say, four-fifths of a year at least? Whew. Maybe longer. We'll have to probably pause and do some series around the holidays and stuff. But basically say the next year, what are we going to do? We're going to let John clearly present to us Jesus. Why? Because God wants us to trust Jesus and have life. Every day, all day. Not just say, I want to get to heaven one day. No, man. I want heaven to come down on me today. I want Jesus to be the Lord of my fill in the blank. The other day, I wanted to tell somebody off. And I said, Lord, give me wisdom in about 15 minutes. I wanted him absent from that first part of that conversation because I wanted to tell him. No, he wants me to have life on my tongue. He wants me to have life in my service, life in my worship, life in my husbanding, life in my fathering, life in my friending. He wants life in every arena because he knows that if I ever see Jesus, I am going to say he's worthy, he's worthy, he's worthy. And what would it look like at the end of the Gospel of John if there was a gaggle of people who, having seen him, have life that constantly erupts in worship? We will have a witness to the world, and we will have glory to the Father. And this is what he wants for his church. Father, over the next few months, show us the pathway of life. Speak to the bones. Over the next few months, pray, Father, you bring men and women and boys and girls into the faith. And among the faithful, encourage, exhort, chasten, challenge, bring us all to the exuberant place of worship-filled life. Bring us to Jesus. In Christ we pray. Amen.